0: And help us to respond in a way that honors your love. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 16 uh, to get started um, this morning. We're here as a church, a part of our stated purpose that we have um, pulled down from Scripture with the stated purpose of the church. And for us as believers, we have on the screen is helping people connect with Jesus, grow in faith, and share his love. A very simple way for us to express um, each, for each of us our purpose as individual believers, but also as we come together in a strategic sense to express the purpose that really should be for our each of our individual lives when we gather in homes, uh, in life groups, and, and also when we gather as a church. Here to be helping people connect with Jesus, grow in faith, and share his love. Um, I'm going to start uh, with verse 16. This is one of those uncomfortable stories um, of the Bible. So I'm glad that Daniel started us off with an uncomfortable movie story. <laughs> no, it was it was really good. It was well chosen. It was well chosen. <laughs> we're a family here and uh, it's uh, it's good stuff. All right, so let's look at this. So this is, we're talking about Abram before God renamed him to Abraham, okay? Sarai before she took the name Sarah, okay? Now Sarai, Abram's wife had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Stupid. So Sarai, Abram's wife, just saying. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram settled in the land of Canaan. And I want to pause here to point out that the reason that the number of years that has passed is put in this story is to set the stage that what we are talking about is a couple to whom God had made a promise. God had made a promise. God had said, you are going to be blessed to be a blessing. You are going to have a child. And through your children, the entire human race will be blessed. And we now know that Jesus Christ came through the genealogy of Abraham and Sarah, but what was happening was, just like it is for all of us, at some point in life, God has made a promise and we don't see the answer yet. That's the stage. So Abram had sex with Hagar and she became pregnant, but when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said said to Abram, this is your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Sounds like a typical marital spat. (laughs) Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Sound familiar, right? A little back and forth. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along with the road, on the road to Shur, Shur town. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's uh, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? Let me just pause for future thought. It's amazing and remarkable how God, uh, sometimes himself or through his angels, will ask us questions that he knows the answer to. And there's always a reason. You can tell a lot about what you actually believe in reality about God and yourself by answering that question. Where'd you come from? Where are you going? Verse 8, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, "'I will give you more descendants than you can count.' And the angel also said, "'You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard the cry, your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against anyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives.' Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. Which is where we get the name for God, Yahweh in Hebrew, Yahweh Elroy. Not Leroy, Elroy. <laughs> Yahweh Elroy, the God who sees me. You are the God who sees. She also said, Have I truly seen the one, or she literally said, the living God, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well, where she was at the water, was named Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar gave Abram a son and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Uh, as a footnote, I want to point out two things. One, it was 13 years later when Abram and Sarai still had not had a child, were still waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled through them, when God came back and said, no, I will give a child through the two of you, and God blessed Ishmael. God blessed Ishmael. A couple of important points. Now, we do not have the time today to unpack all that there is to unpack from this story, but we're in a time set aside for us to be focused more on God than anything else. That's the point of our prayer and fasting, and to whatever degree you're engaged with that private, personal, spiritual discipline Our purpose is that we start the year with focus, that we start 2016 where we are more focused on God than on anything else. And I want to talk a little bit about prayer. And actually, in this story of injustice and how a woman of faith who was not herself a Jew, who was not of the quote unquote chosen race, right? Here we have a a sinful, multi-ethnic relationship going on, not because it was multi-ethnic, but because they were impatient, frustrated with not seeing the answers to their prayer, really the answers to the promise of God, in a selfish, in an immature, in an impatient response to God, they made a wrong decision. But not only after they made the wrong decision, they took it out on Hagar. So here Hagar is suffering injustice, and if you will, suffering injustice at the hands of the man of God. This is an uncomfortable story. She is suffering injustice, and we, in Baltimore City today, we have plenty of people that are suffering injustice. And so this response to suffering and justice actually informs us about how we can pray. Are you curious yet? She responds with saying, God, from now on, I will call you Yahweh El Roy, the God who sees. And I will ask myself, have I truly seen the one who sees me? She was suffering injustice. She was broken. She was out of options. She was, from what we know, in the desert, near death. God sends an angel to say, I have heard your cry. And in a stereotypical male fashion, this story is written and we don't even know what her prayer was. We don't know in what way she was crying out and saying, God, this is not right. God set this wrong right. God, save me. God, deliver me. God, rescue me. If that was her response, somewhere in the heart of Hagar, there is faith. There is a belief that God is who he said he was to Abram. There is a belief, not even through direct personal relationship initially. Are you following? There is a belief within Sarai that though I have suffered injustice, there is a God who created this world. There is a God who loves me, even though I am suffering pain, even though I am neglected, even though I am near death. Come on, is there anybody in here this morning that can identify Even when it looks like God has not shown up. I did not see God deliver on his promise for them. And now I have not seen God been merciful to me. And yet, even though in that space of her life, she did not curse God. She did not reject God. She did not say that God does not exist. But instead, she said, help. And even in, and somebody needs to hear this this morning. Even in Just saying, help, there is faith. And God sees something beautiful. Let me say that again. Even in just saying, God, help, there is faith. And God sees something beautiful. The angel came and said, God has heard your cry. Then He asks her to do something that makes no sense at all and go back to those idiots. What's up with that? What kind of God is this? Right? Sometimes God will ask you to do things that don't make sense. But you can still carry the promise of God. You can still carry the presence of God. You can still see Him in a new way. It is helpful for us to set aside time that we would normally spend on entertainment, time that we would normally spend on food. It is helpful for us to spend time not on things that are good and are normal and are healthy for us to participate in, but to set aside extra time to say, God, what is it in my life that needs to be pulled out? And what is it in my life that you want to put in? God... What is it that is going on right now that is not the way that it should be? It is helpful for us to set aside time and energy and ultimately money even to stop and say, God, help! And then when He responds to say to Him, to describe Him the honor that He is due, You are Yahweh El Roy. You are from now on, God, I will describe You In a true way, you are the God who sees me. And I will ask myself, have I truly seen the one who sees me? The truth of the matter is, we can go through stressful circumstances and not be stressed when we truly see the one who sees us. If God and who He really is, is largest in our view, is largest in our heart, then we can live not stressed in the middle of stressful circumstances. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your heartache. Don't waste your crisis. Because when you are in pain, when you are in stress, when you are in crisis, there are people around you that are watching you, and the Lord Himself is listening to you. Not for you to pretend that what is wrong is right. Not for you to pretend that every thought and emotion you're having is pure. Not for you to pretend that you are holier than thou. Don't hear the wrong thing this morning. But for you to, with honesty, cry out and describe what is wrong as wrong. In whatever it is. Disease, affliction, poverty, lack of opportunity, injustice, people have done you wrong. Whatever it is that's in your life, it is okay to say, God, this is what's wrong. And say with faith, God, help! Is that making sense? Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your crisis. God is listening. And you are on display. People around you are watching. Now, isn't that good? Now, let's take from this also some lessons on prayer. Okay? Okay? We see here, even in this story, and in a moment I'll show you through the Psalms as well, that there are two kinds of prayer. And uh, next Sunday I'll have a book over on the table that discusses this in a little bit more detail. But what I find is that most books and most believers tend to be either on one of these two sides of the spectrum, but that a mature, healthy life, like I described, where you follow Jesus, and even in the midst of stressful situations, you are not stressed, both of these aspects of prayer need to be present in your life, okay? So what you see on the screen is communion and kingdom, and I want to explain these just a little bit of what I mean. Communion is where I encounter God. I have a personal experience with God. I am focused on His goodness. I am focused on resting in Him, even if it is in a cry of help. I am focused on pausing, on listening to Him, on reading about Him, on describing His goodness, on the the start of the prayer that Jesus gives us in Luke 11. When you pray, pray like this, Daddy God who is in heaven. That I'm starting with that point of this is who you are. This is who you are, God. And well, this month we'll sing the song "Good, Good Father." You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. That's that encounter with God. That's a communion. That's a relationship. That is a whether you are talking or not, whether you are listening or not. That is that encounter with God. That personal experience. And then kingdom is the very next phrase that Jesus when he gave us that power tool of a prayer, the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. That supplication, that saying, God, your way, not my way. And God, meet my daily needs. And God, come and do something about what's going on in this world and in this life. God, make a change in our city that we would not have the same amount of murders next year, but we would have less. That is that supplication. Am I making any sense? There's two different aspects of prayer. But let me tell you something. Well, let's describe this first. So communion, prayer as a means to experience God's love and to know oneness with Him. Or kingdom-oriented prayers, not as an inward resting, but as a calling on God to bring His kingdom down. Now, I'll give you some examples of these. But first I want to say, listen, in my own life, I have found, almost like a Mary and Martha, some of you would remember the story of Jesus with Mary and Martha, that God really is looking for both aspects of prayer, and yet a full Christian experience that is mature, that is that is where we find peace when peace should not exist, both are required. Right? Because we we live in bodies where things are not all right. And we live in homes where things are not perfect and we live in neighborhoods where not everything is all right, right? So if all we're doing is, "Mm, God is good, God is good, God is good. If that's all we're doing, we're lunatics. We are of no help to anyone around us and we are not even a help to our own lives. And yet if all we're doing is, God, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, God, change it, God, change it, God, change it. And I need a cheeseburger with bacon. Okay, I apologize for that. Please forgive me. Stop that, right? It's just terrible. Terrible. You can hate me later. But if my prayer time is all that, I can be interceding and really, some of you want to stress eat right now, you can be stress praying. And there's no resting. Both of these are important. Is this are we starting to make some sense now? The the uh, some really good stuff has been written recently about how the Psalms were Jesus' prayer book, and some of that is based on some historical data. Some of it's based on speculation, but it certainly would have been true that Jesus would have known the songs in the Psalms, and Jesus would have prayed the Psalms. And I want to. Um, Before I do this last little bit here, explain also, some of you may have opened up the prayer booklet and been disappointed because it's a lot of scripture. Well, let me just explain that a little bit, okay? Um, Have you noticed that we're a church with a lot of babies? And I'm not referring to my own childish looks. We have a lot of infants in this church, right? So when, when, infants and and toddlers are learning how to talk. You, 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 let me back up. No one in this room, except maybe my wife who has a freaky memory, remembers the process of you learning how to speak. Right? Learning how to speak is before your memory. Like, no one really teaches themselves how to speak. You are speak As you are spoken to, and studies have actually been done that prove that um, kids, their vocabulary is based on the conversations how they were spoken to as infants and as toddlers. And so, while everybody wants to coo and and say all these, you know, ooh, how are you know, and and do like non-word baby talk to babies, the truth of the matter is is that if you want a kid to have a good vocabulary, you need to talk with a normal vocabulary to a child. Not all the time. Love on Amaku as well, but that, that normal vocabulary helps. What is my point? I know you're wondering. Jesus, in teaching us the Lord's Prayer, in Luke 11, invites us to pray out of our thoughts and out of our emotions and out of our need for our daily needs. But even in that prayer. He also teaches us to grow up in our prayer and pray for others and pray out of a knowledge of the holy that comes from the Scriptures. If you want to grow in your prayer, develop your prayer, you've got to immerse yourself, dive in like jumping into a pool, the Scriptures. You've got to dive in and jump in to learn about to whom are you speaking how is God described, and how do other people pray to Him? And so that's why so much of the of the booklet is topical prayer with Scriptures, because what we have learned is that praying through the Scriptures, not just reciting them, reciting them is beneficial, but praying the words of the scripture and then praying my own words. And actually for years in my own life, I used the Lord's prayer uh, that Jesus teaches us in Luke 11. And as I would say the first line, and then I would pray my prayer to God through that. And I did that for years before I, I ever learned that actually it's something that Martin Luther taught hundreds of years ago as an essential skill for Christians to do. This is something Christians have been doing for hundreds of years, praying the scripture. So Jesus... Uh, speculation is, would have prayed through the Psalms. And it is interesting which Psalms Jesus quotes and when he does. That's a topic for another day. So let's break this down just real quick, a couple of examples. So communion prayers, we would see in Psalm 27, 63, 84, 131, and the whole section from 146 to 150. But let me just give you some examples of that real quick. Psalm 27, verse 4. This is a communion prayer, a encounter with God prayer. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. Or one, one translation says, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. The fact of the matter is, as the ancient phrase of Christians has been, that our purpose is to enjoy God and glorify Him. Enjoying God is a part of our way of relating with Him. It is, in fact, a part of prayer. And this might sound weird to you. You may not be familiar with this. You may have never heard this before based on wherever it was that you first encountered a relationship with God. I would invite you, please, if you don't understand resting in God's presence, if you don't understand... The concept of enjoying God, to experiment with it, to taste and see that He is good, to try it out, to have some of your prayer time should be silent. Ancient Christians would pause for a moment of silent reflection on God five times a day. I don't know that, I don't think the time, the number five is significant. But resting in God, a silent reflection on His goodness, is helpful. Can I get an amen? Amen. Also from Psalm 63, verses 1-3, through summarizing that, I thirst for you, I have seen you, because your love is better than life. I will praise you. My soul is satisfied as with the richest of foods. Moving on, kingdom prayer. There are more psalms that are complaints, or what I call the blues, because I like the blues myself, being a melodramatic soul, an old soul. Psalms 10, 13, 39, 42, and 43, and 88. Uh, the Christian historical tradition is that when Jesus was waiting overnight on His trial before He was crucified, it was Psalm 88 that He read in that prison room. Psalms of complaint. From, uh, or asking God to make a change. Asking God uh, your kingdom come. So, uh, from Psalm 10. Why do you stand far off? And hide while I am in trouble. Arise, O Lord, lift up your hand. O God, do not forget the helpless. Going back to... Don't know why that was there. So, I want to point out, before we close, as we try to expand our understanding of prayer in these two different times of prayer, we can't talk about this without talking about why. Why? And how is this possible? Well, it's Sunday morning, so the answer is Jesus. (laughs) Yesterday is uh, one year from the day that a a family friend named Andre Crouch passed away, and I was having some fun with Q on Facebook yesterday, sending her links to some old gospel recordings. Uh, Andre Crouch, you, you find on YouTube singing, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Baltimore City needs that in you and needs that in your home. Why? Hebrews chapter 7, you see it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever. To save those who come to God through Him. He lives forever. To intercede with God on their behalf. One of the Bible studies this week, you will see the reference where Jesus Himself prays for us. He prays for people in the future that were not yet born that would call on His name. Jesus prays for you. And it is because of Jesus, His sacrifice on the cross it is because of our salvation by faith through grace that we can pray that we can come to him isn't god good was this helpful today good let's stand and close in prayer this morning